Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the blessings you've given us to gather, that your spirit is gathering your people to come and worship you for what you, for who you are and what you've done, Lord. The mighty works of creation, the mighty works of redemption. Help us to be a people that remember your name. Help us to focus and understand the depth and the meaning of these things as we live in times of forgetfulness, Lord. I pray that you might help us continue to grow into being a city on a hill for all people to see. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right. So last week, just to go through some recap, because I know I kind of rushed it. But the reason why we're going to go through this book is to rediscover the meaning and depth of the gospel through the story of Exodus. We're going to rediscover the meaning and depth of the gospel through the story of Exodus. And why are we going to do that? Because we are living in times of forgetfulness. Forgetfulness in the culture, the Christian principles that founded the West, this country, also but within our own lives. Every time we sin, we forget the memory of Yahweh. We forget the name of the Lord. And why do I say the name? Because the name packs in all of the mighty works that God has done. This is why in the Old Testament you hear repeatedly through the Pentateuch particularly, every command is backed up by God saying, I am Yahweh. The very prologue of the Ten Commandments and the Ten Words is that God reminds His people that He is their deliverer. He has freed them from the oppression of Egypt and Pharaoh. Therefore, the Ten Words and Ten Commandments. So, rediscovering because we've we've gotten swept up, and we do get swept up in a normal, everyday life. Like I said, every time we sin, we forget the wondrous work of our Lord, and we choose another God. Every action we take, whether it's even an inaction, is in memory, in worship, either of God or false God. When we lie, it is idol worship. When we mistreat each other, it is idol worship. When I don't know how to treat my wife as a husband, it is idol worship. We've forgotten the name of the Lord. So we want to rediscover these things. And the second thing, remembrance, right? We've already kind of discussed that. Remembrance of who, who Yahweh is, is going to give all of the root work, all the groundwork, to understanding the meaning and worth of the gospel. The gospel can be summarized in saying Jesus died on the cross for our sins. It can. And a lot of the times when we come to Christ, it is... By a simple gospel presentation, come for forgiveness of sins, right? But oftentimes through the seasons of change, as this life, this, this life that is still under the curse of sin, all of the changes, the constant seasons, in and out, in and out, we need to understand the unchangeable God. For us to be rooted in the tree of life, like, Psalm 1 depicts the man, the wise man that delights in the law of God is like a tree planted 
and the remembrance of the name of God in consequence of all of the wondrous acts of God will, will keep us grounded in the days and the seasons of change. Temptation is change. Sin is constant change. It's constantly telling us to look to immediate gratifications, right? Immediate satisfactions, even animal, almost animal instincts, right? Unregulated animal appetites, right? Every time I'm frustrated, I'm going to lash out at someone. Those are, those are immediate gratifications rather than self-regulation by the gospel. But every time we self-regulate, we have to do it in the memory of Yahweh. So that was, that's the recap. And for today, we're going to go through an outline of the book of Exodus, and then we're going to read Exodus 3, and hopefully that will conclude our study. If not, well, I'll pick it up next week, because I did tend to, I do tend to overpack. So with that in, line, in, in mind, let's go through the outline of the story of Exodus, right? So there's going to be three different headings. Three particular headings and, and, and three subpoints or various subpoints. And it begins, it begins in Egypt. From chapter 1 to chapter 15, verse 21, we see Egypt. And then the Egyptians oppress Israel to throw their infant boys into the river. That's chapters 1 and 2. And then in chapter 3 through 4, we have the burning bush. I'm just going to go speed through this. The plagues and the Passover from chapter 5 through chapter 13, verses 16. And then Yahweh throws the Egyptian army into the sea and kind of like poetic justice as Pharaoh threw the firstborn sons into the river. So he does in the waters of baptism. (laughs) The second heading is through the wilderness from chapters 15 to chapter 18. Number one, Israel's grumbling and God's provision. We start to see. That it's not just a matter of freeing you from Egypt. There's a problem of defilement, not only from without, but from within your heart. The Amalekites defeated in chapter 17. Judges appointed over Israel in chapter 18. And then finally, we get to the mountain. So from Egypt to the mountain is the entire story. The covenant with the people in chapter 19 through 24. The dwelling instructions. Okay, God is, God's intention from all creation is to dwell with man. And that agenda never changes. The way he's going to do it changes from Adam to Christ, but it's the same purpose. I want to dwell with my people because he is the source of light. Not any gifts that he gives, he himself is the source. The rebellion and the revelation, we see that right when he's going to give the ten words and his glory is going to descend on the mountain. We see this grotesque image of idol worship. And then the, the dwelling constructed and filled from chapters 35 through 40. So we have from Egypt into the wilderness and in the mountain. And what we see there, we see a pattern, a redemptive pattern, a plan that's repeated throughout Scripture, right? We see from Egypt, we can see also the wilderness in the book of Numbers, and ultimately, and not only in the mountain, but the land, right? And then afterwards, we see that the kingdom of Israel is established, but they rebel, so they go into exile, and then there's a return back to the kingdom. And then in the New Testament, we have the works of Christ... 
And then we have his millennial reign as he is seated at the right hand of the father until we what? Until we get to the celestial city. So we have this establishment by God's mighty work. And then we have the rebellion of man that does not want to render worship to God for his mighty work and goes into exile. And then from the exile, he understands that Yahweh is the only source of life. He turns back by the grace of God through the Spirit's work, understanding that apart from God, there is just slavery, pain, and death. Right? So, mighty work in creation, think of it in Genesis. God does all things in the space of six days and all very good. Leading up to the Sabbath worship, and he makes man, and he makes him, he doesn't call him good until he faces his trial of worship. Remember we discussed that in the first class too. He must worship God for what he has done. And man does not worship God, he worships himself. And the rest of redemptive history is returning back to this glorious picture that we see in the book of Revelation of worship. In heaven, heaven on earth, in the heavenly city that comes down. So we see this pattern of Egypt, wilderness, mountain, Egypt, wilderness, the promised land, kingdom, exile, return. And then in the new covenant, Christ's work that seals a new creation. Jesus Christ, is his resurrection and ascension begins, inaugurates the kingdom and the millennial reign. And we work towards this heavenly city that's coming. And in the midst of that, we feel the affliction, the pains of forgetting Yahweh with a mix of remembering him. Right? There's a mix in our Christian life. We remember the Lord. We, we have the memory of his salvation. Right? We, we turn back to the day that he saved us. If you guys have a hard memory of when you were converted, I know I do. So you go back to that in those tough days and say, this is why I'm here, because Yahweh freed me from the oppression of sin, and you continue your fight until that heavenly city comes, right? So that's the general pattern. Now, we're going to go into Exodus chapter 3, let's see who can read for me, who wants to read Exodus chapter 3, let me open it up, if not, I'm just going to go like you. Exodus chapter 3. Why are we going to go through Exodus 3? Because it, it gives us a summary of what the events are going to have according to this outline of the entire book. Exodus 3 gives us like a really bird's eye view of the entire book and we're going to break it down.
Amen. So the main theme of the entire chapter is an introduction of the significance of Yahweh's name. Now, from the book of Genesis into the well, creation into ch- chapter 3, we see the fall. And after the fall, man starts to build a name for himself. That leads up to Genesis 11, where we have the Tower of Babel, where man is seeking to reach the heavenly realm for their own name's sake. So we've forgotten Yahweh's name. So Exodus 3 is him reintroducing himself, Right? So in verses 1 through 6, so this chapter is broken down in two main sections in his reintroduction. Yahweh as our creator. And Yahweh as redeemer. So verses 1 through 6 is Yahweh as creator, and the rest of the chapter is his crescendo building into what he is going to do as our redeemer, right? So 1 through 6 functions as a prologue. Michael, if you could read Genesis 3 from verses 8 through 10, we're going to read in contrast verses 1 through 6 in Exodus 3, and we're going to place Genesis 3, verses 8, through 10, and we're going to compare and contrast, see what's going on in this introduction as Yahweh is walking in a blazing fire, and Moses has no idea what's going on. He's looking and he's saying, that's weird. I've never seen that. Something that's a consuming fire, yet does not consume the bush, and he goes up to him, and then the Lord asks his name. doesn't ask, he calls his name, sorry. Moses, Moses, and Moses' response is, here I am. There's a lot going on there, and we're going to see it from Genesis 3, verses 8 through 10. Michael, read it. Very good. So we see, number one, the Lord walks in the cool of the day. What does that tell us? I wrote this wrong. Exactly. There is peace. There is this union and communion with man still that is not broken or at least not consummately broken because in that that confrontation he's going to have with Adam, he already had sinned. But the union and communion that God had allowed for him to walk in the cool of the day. Versus Exodus 3, what do we see? There's a blazing fire. (laughs) You come close to Yahweh, he is a holy. He is going to obliterate you. Why? Because the land has been defiled. From, go with Michael, baby. Or she can hang out with me, it's okay. So, Blazing fire, Yahweh is holy, right? We have this contrast. She wants to teach. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. 
So we have that. Right? We see the, the cool of the day and the blazing fire. And then we see, a, the second thing we see is a father's call. What happens in Genesis 3 when he calls Adam? Verses 8 through 10. He calls him. What's Adam's response? Ah, you're calling me. I don't want nothing to do with you. I'm scared of you. I, I don't want to come back into your presence. Now, how does Moses respond in verse, verse 4? When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses. Moses, and he said, here I am. There's no turning away. There's, if, if we compare from Adam and Moses, we see that there's a buildup now. There's, there's some signs here that there's, God is going to build a union and communion with man even after the fall. He wants to dwell with his people, and he will accomplish that. He will accomplish that. Now look at this. It's, it's incredible how these little Little pockets of a father's call requires complete devotion to him. When he calls Adam, he wants Adam's full attention. He wants Adam's full devotion. He wants Adam's full worship. That everything he does is on the memory of who God is. I am Yahweh. Right? So Moses responds, I'm right here. With that disposition of devotion. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 3. Heather, can you read that for me? 1 Samuel chapter 3. And I've always wondered about this little portion as I've gone through Samuel. I say, what, what, is he, what is God doing? When he calls Samuel, why does he repeat this? Right? 1 Samuel chapter 3. We'll read a, the first, it's the entire chapter. He does this repeatedly. He makes a point of it, but. Go ahead. Now the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Mm. It's okay. You get... Okay.
and you can live there. So we see repeatedly this father's call and God, the first thing he cares is your devotion. Where is your heart? All of the mighty works that flow out of that, the kingdom he's going to build, it starts with a heart that's completely devoted to the Lord. A circumcised heart that loves God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. How often do we, us fathers, every time we call our sons or our daughters, Jonah, Jonah, I got to do this like five times. Jonah, come back. Sit down. Eat. It's time to eat. Got a spoon feed you. This is the heart. And, you know, this is every parent's experience. Because this is how you see how the fall has affected nature, has, has affected our, our design. God, God wants to call, and he wants you to come. The first time he mentions is your name. And because in the time of Samuel, things had gotten so bad, he's got to do it three times. Are you sure you're hearing me? Right? Or the call is so veiled. Because things have gotten, the land has been so defiled, he has to do it three times. There's a lot to God's revelation. And we'll, we'll, I've got five minutes. I can kind of close with this. I've got a whole bunch of stuff I've got to get through. So when, when the Lord calls, when the Lord speaks, he speaks to Moses face to face. It's different from the rest of the prophets and the writings. There's levels to revelation here. It's not just, I'm here, hear what I'm saying. No. With Moses, he spoke face to face, and the rest it was in shadowy form. There's layers here. And ultimately, he speaks to us in his son, Jesus Christ, who comes and he speaks to us mouth to mouth in the Sermon of the Mount. He gives us this intimate revelation of what makes up the character of God. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit and builds on those virtues, right? But God, he acts this way. It's, mm, I only do this with him, not with you. And with you, I'll give you some dreams. I'll give you prophets. They'll hear and they'll be my mouthpiece. My mouthpiece. But with Moses, is different. And we, we come back to Exodus 3. That's why it's this... There's a, there's, there's a, by God's grace, Moses is responding as Adam should. And Jesus ultimately fulfills the role of Moses to perfection as our mediator, right? So that kind of encaptures Yahweh as, as creator because we're looking back. We're looking at Adam. We're looking the cool of the day. We're looking at how God demands complete devotion from man. And Adam failed to do that. Yet Moses, in the prologue of this chapter, says, here I am. Okay? And then the second, I got a couple minutes. But we'll, we'll pause. This book is going to take me a lot of time. So the second thing we see, and we'll end with this. Yahweh as Redeemer. Right now, the thing... His, his, his vocation to us changes from creator. Now I'm going to step in and I'm going to save you from your misery. And what's the first thing we allude to in verse 5? In Exodus 3. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet from the place in which you stand, or on which you are standing is holy ground. There's an allusion to what? The what? Yes, but allusion to the book. Of 
what book expounds on the nature upon which you're going to approach God? That there's this chasm between the holiness of God and you, and there's a way that you're going to come into the presence of God. What book? There you go. She said it in Spanish. The book of Leviticus. Which Pastor Proctor is so successfully doing. He's giving us pictures of what it means to enter the presence of God. You can't just come here, guns blazing, or whatever it is that you think you're going to do to come and meet God according to your standards, your agendas, your plans. No, that does not work that way. God is going to establish how he is to be approached. And we see, we see an illusion here with the feet. It's like, no, take off your sandals. In the book of Leviticus, there is a distinction between clean and unclean things. Right? We have the Day of Atonement, which is the day in which everything in the land was purified. So God is dwelling with his people. And even the most mundane things is purified on the Day of Atonement. There's a purification sacrifice. It's for the entire land to be okay with God's holiness dwelling in the midst of all this defilement. But there's also a distinction between common and holy things. So you you can be clean yet common. What do I mean by holy? Consecrated. Dedicated. In, In the sanctuary. Going through... Ascension offerings, which is the animal was purified, would would cease to be in the state of sin and defilement in representation of the people and would be transformed by the fire. And through the smoke, it would ascend into the heavenly abode to where God is a pleasing aroma. Because the animal stopped, stopped being defiled, uncommon. And from being clean and common, he passes to being holy in that presence of God in representation of those who sacrifice. So this is interesting. This is how how the consecrated life of Israel, while God was in the midst of them, you see the burnt offering is the most prominent sacrifice that's being done because it's, it's raising up into the presence of God this pleasing aroma that stems his holiness and allows the people to flourish because he is the source of life. He is going to call not only them, but the nations back to himself. This is his agenda of redemption. He's going to call the entire world back to himself. And this is the way. His holiness must be satisfied for his grace and his mercy to reach the nations. So I'll leave it there. We'll continue on. After that, we'll finish the chapter next week and we'll, Lord willing, we'll start chapter one of the book of Dr. Michael Morales. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your blessing that you have made a way through the sacrifice of Christ. That you have provided for us that Jesus is our high priest, but he is also the very sacrifice for his perfect life for his work in obedience to you has provided for us an access, a free access into your presence. And today we offer our lives of sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving up into here, your presence. Lord, as we hear the gospel preached and we taste the gospel in the Lord's table, 
Lord, sanctify, sanctify us, prepare us, and be with us. In Christ's name, amen.